Let us go to the word, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. God is love. God is love. God is love. God is love. First John chapter four, verse eight said, God is love. He is love. And because he is love through his sacrifice, he reveals his love. First John um, four, nine says, and he takes those who, so he takes those, um, only those who make their own sacrifice to reveal his love to where he is, which is expressed as the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1.13. That is the same as the father's house in heaven, but in Colossians 1.13, um, aligned with this theme of, or the attribute of God being love, it says the kingdom of his beloved son, beloved son, the son whom he loves. So um, faith is to know that God is love and be moved by his love. How many of you believe that God is love? Is this real? S-C-O-G, we're finally talking about love? Yes, we are, because it is a very important um, part of who God is. Yes, uh, it is to know him as love, but not only that, be moved by the love of God. It's to be moved by the love of God. Be moved, be moved, be stirred up, be changed by the love of God, and therefore committing our life as Christians, living every day, not every other day or once a week, but every day, Living for him who died for me. Can we say that together? Living for him who died for me. Again. One more time. So that's the point that we're going to come at at the end. You know that, right? That's how we lay the groundwork there. And we go through the entire sermon, history, fulfill, prophecy, fulfillment. And then that's our punchline. The take home message is that. I need to live for him. In other words, I need to make my own sacrifice, which is not unique to Christians if you just take that part, 
right? There are plenty of religions that talk about self-sacrifice, making sacrifice. There are people who are nothing to do with religion, don't even believe in God, but they make plenty of sacrifices. They're very impressive. Um, so people can say, oh yeah, you guys do that, I do this. But the Christian sacrifice is entirely different because it starts with God's love, God's sacrifice. So uh, in the program, I said God's redeeming love, but uh, I, I realize we need to keep with the text. I try to keep it with the text, which is the Bible, Christ's love. So the title is Christ's redeeming love. As uh, I just reread, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 54, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen? Very easy to say, however, uh, than to do. Right? So no longer live for themselves, but live for him. So I want us to really think about that. Like, what does it mean that I no longer, am I no longer living for myself and really living for him? Um, last week, uh, the title of the sermon was the grace of forgiveness, specifically the forgiveness of sin, certainly. Um, so we heard about the grace of God um, that was given to us through the redemption of Jesus Christ, Yeshua Christ, um, and it's through his blood that he has given us that grace. And that blood uh, redeemed as in atoned. Like atoned, so the word redemption and atonement are used interchangeably, but it's kind of interesting. I had to like study this and read all of this and kind of think more about it. But um, it's actually a legal term and also financial too. So there's like payment and there's transaction. So uh, redemption um, and atonement are similar in terms of their meanings, but redemption can include the meaning of atonement. So atonement, to atone, is to compensate or uh, to uh, reparation for one's guilt, um, to make amends for what one has done wrong. So um, another word for that is uh, expiation, expiate. Um, So to atone is to um, pay the price, pay the penalty. And that's what we heard about last week. Um, but in the word redemption, uh, there's also the meaning of ransom. So ransom involves payment, right? So you guys know examples like ransom, like someone gets kidnapped and then, uh, the kidnapper, you know, um, says bring this amount of money or else this hostage is going to die. Right. So, uh, I mean, you might hear that in the news nowadays, uh, the war in Gaza, right? The Israelis who are being held hostage um, still, um, many were released and there's some exchange. So there's a negotiation going on to have the release. So ransom includes payment and release. Um, and uh, in the word redemption, we're going to do the third definition next week. But today, uh, in adding on to paying the price, paying the penalty of the wrongdoing, which is sin, which was last week about his grace, forgiveness. Today, we're going to focus on the substitution aspect of redemption. So that is to pay the price of sin, to pay the penalty of sin instead of someone else, on behalf of someone else. So, um, the Greek word for redemption is apolutrosis, apolutrosis, and ransom is lutron. So they're kind of like connected. So um, it literally means ransom money, to pay ransom money to release 
the hostage or slave. So again, this being like the biblical Greek ancient um, context um, in slavery setting um, to purchase that, uh, to release the debt, you know, because people became slaves uh, because they owe money. They couldn't pay their debt, right? So um, for them to be released from that, uh, they would have to pay their way out, which they couldn't unless someone paid for them. So this aspect of someone taking on, but more specifically, not just paying, but paying it with their own life. So that's um, today's focus in the word redemption. We're going to focus on ransom slash uh, substitution. And even in the human setting, um, in in the past, um, people who are of lowly class, um, certainly slaves and servants, um, bonded servants, uh, or the poor, or even wage workers, at times... Uh, would take the punishment for the wealthy, the noble, the master, uh, the owner, um, the upper class. So when the upper class was guilty and then the flogging was the way they paid the price of their sin, right? You see that in the Bible as well, right? The, the early Christians were flogged. Jesus was flogged, but early Christians were flogged. So physical, corporal punishment was the way they, you know, uh, amend, amended, make amends for their wrongdoing. Uh, and because they did not want to and they could afford to, they pay someone else to do it. So people who need money desperately, they will say, all I have is my body and you can flog me. You know, you can flog me on my buttocks because usually your buttocks is the, you know, lots of fat there or uh, meat there. So they would actually physically flog them or lash them and people would do that. So um, I heard that in ancient Korea they did that. In old times in Korea they did that, but not only Korea, but in the, you know, the uh, Middle East or Mesopotamian, you know, um, uh, countries or cultures, uh, they certainly uh, did that. So it would sort of make sense if the lowly substituted for the highly, the higher, but what about when the higher chooses to do it for the lowly? It would be absurd. It would be unusual, extraordinary, and unthinkable. But that's what the Bible shows us. Because the Bible is a story um, of God. Um, specifically, it's the love story of God. So, as many of you completed your Bible reading, congratulations. Um, and the first time... Um, you know, effort, uh, those of many of you are making, um, there's, there's Derek there. He said, I'd rather fast three days than read the entire Bible in a month. I'm like, no, you don't. You want to read the Bible because <laughs> it was so hard. And because you're curious, like all these names and places, like what are these things? And you want to just go sidetrack to Wikipedia and Google and then you'll never make progress. So it is very difficult. Uh, but if you were to put this lens on and that says the love, love story of God, even though God, God commanded the people of Israel to destroy everything, the animals and the children. And you're like, the love of God? Where's the love of God in this? But you can be patient and expect the love of God to be fully revealed and fulfilled through the one and only Son. Um, so let's look at First John um, together. First John chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. This is God is love, and because he is love, he did not make us rich and give us perfect life where we have no needs or anything. Rather, he sent his one and only, or the only begotten son, into the world so that he might die as an atoning sacrifice. 
Why do we need atoning sacrifice? Because we're sinners and sinners who are hostile to God, who need to be reconciled to God, to be made right with God. The only way is God's way. God is the only one who can do it. And according to his plan, he sent his son. So that's how his love is revealed. And that's what the entire Bible is really about. Um, as God made man to be a spiritual being, um, he, we already see the intent of God. Intent of God is not make our uh, physical life better or improve the quality of life, which a lot of people talk about. Uh, it is not about extending our breath to live just the 10 years longer, have improving medicine and technology. It's not about that. But rather by breathing to the man, the breath of life. See some new faces. Let's go to Genesis 2, 7 quickly. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a... The man became a living being. So the man became a living being. This man's name is then Adam. Yes, Adam means man. Adam means a living being. And he lived in the Garden of Eden. And for his physical body, physical life, he could eat whatever he wanted in the, gar- uh, in the garden. But for his spiritual being, he was limited. Um, me- meaning he could eat everything, but he could not take from one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God warned him, if you take from that tree, you will surely die. You will certainly die. And again, God's not talking the physical, but he's talking to spiritual because spiritual can also live and die because a being. Um, and, uh, this living being, um, becomes an ancestor of all mankind. Um, and certainly he might've obeyed for a while, but he was eventually deceived, uh, by a serpent who tempted Eve, his wife, the woman who came from him. And then, uh, Adam, was deceived to disobey the word of God and that disobedience called sin. So Adam sinned and that sin entered the spirit of all men. Romans 5.12 says, and first also 1 Corinthians 15.22, that when Adam sinned, even though none of us lived then, none of us had anything to do with that act, but because we all inherited the spirit of Adam, along with the spirit, we inherited sin. So the price of sin being death, The spirit died the moment Adam disobeyed. So although for thousands of years, well, Adam himself lived hundreds of years after that. For thousands of years, the human race continued to this day. The reality spiritually in the eyes of God is that all men died in sin. And the end is not just kind of remaining, living physical life for a little bit and the spirit dead. What happens is at the end, Matthew 25, 41 says, all men will follow the devil to hell, which is the place where sinners will pay for their sin forever. But this is not um, a glitch to God's plan. Uh, God did not have any error in his plan. It's like, oh my God, God says to himself, oh my God, OMG, this happened? What am I going to do? A plan B, what's plan B? It's actually according to his plan, only one plan. And it was from the beginning he had a plan to reveal himself, express his love. Now, where it says God is love, he's not just loving to himself. There is recipient, uh, the object of his love. So he is going to, in time, reveal his love. And how is he going to do that? He himself will come, not the entirety of God, but part of him will come to the world, as we read there in First John chapter 4, to express his love um, that the Son of God will come. 
And he will come as not Adam, the first Adam, but as the last Adam. There you go. So for the last Adam to come and die, remember redemption, the meaning as ransom, as substitute. So meaning instead of all men in Adam, he will pay the price of sin through his death. And through his life, all men may live. So 1 Corinthians, again, 15, 22 says, For as an Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now again, some people may be thinking like, wait a minute, this room is full of hundreds of people, close to 200. And how is that one man's uh, death replace or substitute all ours? Because once again, although there are many spiritual beings that God made, i.e. angels, there's only one living being. That God made. So there's only one Adam. So all men can be seen as a large tree uh, with one, you know, one trunk, but many branches. So there are about 8 billion people around the world right now. So we have about eight individual branches, but it is uh, all part of one tree. So that one tree is called the first Adam. And Malachi 2.15 says he did not, uh, he made them one referring to the spirit of man, one spirit. And why one? Because God seeks godly offspring. So again, God planned from eternity that the son, his son would come as the last Adam. So it was predestined for the last Adam to come and sacrifice himself and die in place of, instead of all men in the first Adam. Do you understand so far? Yes? So that will be the way in which God will express his perfect love for mankind. But until then, um, the consequence of sin entered um, through Adam. Again, spiritually all dead, all bound for hell in the end. But also socially, um, emotionally. All men became for uh, every man for himself. In other words, selfish. Not selfless but full of the self. So selfish, self-centered, self-serving, making no sacrifice for anyone else. We see that right away in a next generation in Adam's family when Cain, a brother, killing his own brother, Abel. And when God asked Cain in chapter 4, Genesis, where's your brother? What does Cain say? I don't know. First he says, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When your mama asks, well, I don't know. I don't know. Your favorite answer, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like meaning, I don't care. That's what it means. I don't care. So I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I got better things to do. Am I, am I going to sit around babysit my brother? I don't know where his location is at. Like, I'm, not chasing, I'm, not, I'm not monitoring. I'm not supervising him. I don't care what happens to him. That's what it means. Because he killed his own brother. Now, certainly people can say, well, I'm not, I'm not a murderer like him. But this becomes a reality for all mankind. And it's especially true this day. So focus on the self so much. We have selfie nation, selfie generation, selfie. Everything is about the self. So that is neglecting neighbors, not caring for others, but focusing on oneself and their very own, including their family. Family is an extension of themselves. So it's about themselves. But God continued his effort of making his love be known. So he called on Abraham 
when he was Abram, he was called, and um, he was promised to um, have a child at an impossible age, which is the age of 100, and the promise was fulfilled, uh, for Abram was a righteous man, he obeyed the word of God, but when that son, Isaac, uh, was of age, comes of age, uh, which probably late teen, maybe even early 20s, God attests Abraham's faith and says, give me your only son as a burnt offering. This is Genesis 22, uh, and the son... Um, doesn't you know, know that in those words, but he accompanies his father to go to the designated place and time to give burnt sacrifice. Uh, and then he, along the way, asks his father, Father, we have the wood and the fire, but where is the sacrifice? It's just like, <gasps> you ask me. It's like, it's you. <laughs> don't, don't ask me anymore. Like, that's what I've done. I really. <laughs> but Abraham just so um, nonchalantly said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. It's like he says to his son, my son, don't worry. God himself will provide the lamb. And certainly that sacrifice was his very own son. He tied him up and he was about to run the knife through his heart and then burn him up after. But God seeing how Abraham loved God, he feared God. So fearing is like not being scared, but fearing is honoring God and loving God. God accepted that sacrifice from Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham, don't kill him. Don't touch him. Now I know you fear me. Now I know you love me. I receive your love. I accept your sacrifice. So instead of killing his son, God literally did provide for himself a sacrifice because Abraham turned around and saw a ram caught in the thicket of bush and in uh, instead of his son gave that a sacrifice so again that's a glimpse of what god would do in the end and becomes a little bit more specific with the people of israel to whom god sent moses and israel uh, the people were enslaved um in egypt and they had been living there for 430 years so exodus 20 i mean 12 40 41 it says um they were at the end of 430 years uh, to the very day of israel living in egypt which is to highlight god's word to Abraham hundreds of years before that this was going to happen, it was fulfilled. So that night, they um, left their slavery in Egypt, and they didn't go out on their own, but because this was um, by the sign of the Passover night or the Passover lamb. So there were um, nine other plagues uh, before that, uh, and the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, did not budge. But the very last one is called the Passover night because the spirit of death will come to every household to kill every firstborn. Firstborn meaning first male child, human, as well as animals. So even animals, the first male, would be killed. Unless, unless they follow his instruction, God's word, which was to kill an animal, kill a lamb, and drain it of its blood and put it around the door frame. And when the spirit saw that blood, the spirit of death will pass over. Passover. So Jewish people to this, they celebrate this. They observe this um, day. Um, and it was for them to remember that they live because the lamb died. So the Passover lamb sacrificed in their place so the people of Israel, specifically the firstborn, live. Firstborn is significant because so the firstborn is the seed of the family. Right? So the firstborn, firstborn male is a seed to continue that line. So the people exist later on because of the Passover lamb. 
in case they forget, God gave them as law or the commandment in Exodus 13, 12 to 13. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem for an, um, for, uh, with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Also in Exodus 34, 19, 20, similar things. It said, the first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with the lamb. If you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. So if um, those poor lambs, I mean, they had to die for human firstborn, right? Okay, so they're human. So, all right, okay, I'll die. But donkey? donkey like what do you get to live and i die but that was the way that uh, to be done for them to remember because lamb died for every firstborn that every firstborn lived right so that was to be remembered through the passover holiday right the the feast secondly the levites who were appointed to serve god in the sanctuary the tabernacle and the temple later on where the name of jehovah was they were to serve God on behalf of, instead of the rest of the 11 tribes of uh, Israel. So there were 12 tribes and the Levites come from the line of Levi. And among them, the priests were chosen. The people who were to work in the, um, the tabernacle were chosen. So uh, because the people of Israel were chosen as the kingdom of priests, Exodus 19.6. So in Numbers 3.45, it says, take the Levites in place of all the firstborn of Israel and the livestock of the Levites in place of their livestock. The Levites are to be mine. I am the Lord. Remember how today we're talking about substitution, right? Within the uh, concept of redemption. So it's to substitute on behalf of paying the price. So there is the sacrifice through the Passover and the sanctuary where the Levites serve instead of the people of Israel. Now, in the meantime, as Proverbs twenty-one eighteen says, the wicked become a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. So it's customary and expected that the lowly gets substituted for the highly, as I said earlier on, right? The high, because they're worth more, the lowly must die, even though a lamb might not think so about the donkey, but that's how it was supposed to be done. However, there was prophecy saying something, someone who is righteous, who will come to suffer instead of the unrighteous. Um, let's go to Isaiah sixty seventeen. Instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and iron in place of stones. Just up to there. You might have read through this as you're reading the Bible and you're going like, what is all this about? And similarly, in previous chapters, 55, 13, instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of uh, briars, uh, the myrtle will grow. And and so that we see um, there's instead, substitution. So here it says, instead of bronze, I bring you gold. Which is more valuable, gold or bronze? Which metal do you want to win? The gold or the bronze? There you go. Okay, so gold. so silver in place of iron, which is more valuable? Silver, right? So there's going to be exchange. So lowly and more valuable. The highly is coming. Um, so it is speaking of the prophet. The prophet Isaiah is speaking of someone coming who's worthy more, uh, worth he is w- uh, worth greater than for whom he will die, for whom he will sacrifice. So let's go to go to fifty three. Isaiah fifty three verse five. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for 
our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Who was Isaiah prophesying about? Yeshua, the Messiah. Hallelujah. So he's saying he will be pierced for our transgressions. I need to be pierced for my transgression, but he will take my place and do it. I am the one who has to be crushed for my iniquities, our iniquities. We have to be crushed, but he will be crushed for our iniquities. I am the one who has to be punished. We have to be punished for our sins, but here is He who knows no sin will be punished to give us peace. He who does not deserve the wounds will be wounded to give us healing. And he came upon that prophecy and he came in the name, not Jehovah, but the Father's name, Yeshua, John 5, 43. And standing before that very temple, the temple of Jerusalem that reminded them of this redemption, right? Redeeming. Passover lamb redeeming the firstborn Israel, Levites redeeming the, uh, the firstborns of Israel. What did he say that made the Jewish people upset? Destroy this temple. The ones who got upset were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the priests, the chief priests who served there who were Levites, right? So when Yeshua said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days, this was absurd. This, this doesn't make any sense. You cannot tear down the building, and you cannot rebuild it in three days. It's physically impossible. But not only that, spiritually, it's blasphemous. How dare you say that? This is where the name of God for the people of Israel, the Old Testament, that is the name of Jehovah, was. And you're not even supposed to blaspheme the name. But you dare to say destroy it. You need to be destroyed. So that's why the priests and the Pharisees conspired to kill him, and they did in the end, handing over to the Romans. But what Yeshua was referring to was the temple of his body. What was he referring to? The temple of his body. He is saying, this temple that has the name of Jehovah, where the Levites served on behalf of Israel with animal sacrifice, animal blood, is now to be set aside. It is to be torn down. Now a new temple has come that is not made by hands, but it is of heaven and has come with the name. What, again, the temple has name, right? And this name is not Jehovah, but it's the father's name of Yeshua. And it will not be human priests like the Levites representing the people, but it will be the son of man, as he called himself. The son of man will give his life to serve the father. And that not It is not the sacrifice of animals, but he will give his own body, his own blood to become a ransom first for the father and for many. That is the souls of men. Hallelujah. So that's where instead of bronze, gold, instead of, uh, instead of um, iron, silver. So that replacement will be given. So there is no more need for animal sacrifice, no more need for physical building, no more need for human priests. I am going to be all that and make it perfect. So he referred to himself as the son of, of man. And let's look at Matthew twenty twenty eight. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. Again, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's that word ransom, lutron, uh, uh, lutron in uh, Greek, which is, again, purchasing money, ransoming money to release slaves. So why, why ransom and why release from slaves? What slavery are we talking about? All men have received the spirit of Adam, so I am Adam. Are you Adam? 
I'm a living being. Are you a living being? Yes. So besides the physical, I have the spiritual being. I am a spiritual being. And by that fact, I've inherited the sin, the original sin from my ancestor, Adam. That's all for all men. And because of that, all men belong to the devil, which is the origin of sin. As, a, as, a, as an angel, he sinned in, in heaven and rebelled against God. And he was then thrown out of heaven and cast into the universe where he, are, he is locked in until the day of judgment and punishment. So he being the slave driver, all men belong to him. So for us to be released from that, right, to, to therefore pay the price, to pay the price, from the pri- uh, pay the price for sin, for, for death. Yeshua came, the Son of God came, to pay the price on behalf instead of all men in Adam. That's what that means. So he came as ransom to not die for his own sin, but with another sin that is the sin of all men. So that's, why we, uh, that's what we read here uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knows no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Do you understand? He who, so again, you could be saying like, who is Jesus? Who is Yeshua? By the way, Yeshua means savior. So we use that name, but Jesus, we still use, but he is, he is not a human by nature, though he was born of a woman. He, he is, um, as Genesis 3.15 says, the offspring of the woman, right? So the prophecy was that uh, the offspring of the woman would come to destroy the offspring of the serpent, which is the devil. So the offspring of the woman is highlighting the fact that God who knows no sin would become flesh. John 1, quickly, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So the word there is capitalized because it's talking about a person who is with God, who is God in nature. That's what it's saying. The word was God, right? The word is the self-manifestation, self-revelation of God. This is the way that God decided to reveal himself, reveal himself as love. How is he going to reveal himself? Through the word. Therefore, the word in verse 14 became, altogether, the word became, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Altogether, the word became flesh. God became flesh. God came as man. And that is referring to the flesh of Yeshua. He who knows no sin came in order for him to be pierced, crushed, punished, and finally killed. Because that was the way the payment would have to be made. The payment is not through the breath of human body being taken away. Remember, what's, what is flesh made of? What is the flesh of Yeshua made of? Spirit. There you go. It's the word. Although he came 100% as man, being born of woman, right, the virgin, who received through her faith, amen, the seed of the word. Seed of the word. The seed, the seed was there. The seed of the word and the word became flesh in our body. He did not inherit anything from her. He is not of man. He is not of flesh and blood, but he is of God. He is God. The word was God. God 
who was from the beginning, became flesh. Not the entirety of God, but the part of God called the Word. And he became flesh to reveal, express the perfect love of the Father. Hallelujah. That's why in John 3, 16 says, for, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. So whoever believes him will not but have. Hallelujah. Not giving him and saying wise sayings. Like, listen, I'm so smart. I'm going to give you all these wise sayings like Proverbs. Or like, I'm so loving that I'm going to help the poor and love the widows and, and children, you know, whatever. But the way he's going to show his love, as we read earlier in First John, uh, John chapter 4, is that he will lay down his life as an atoning sacrifice for the sinners of the world who have been separated and cut off from God, now belonging to the devil, headed to hell, bound for hell, now need to be made amends for, reconciled, be atoned. But the way they're going to be atoned is through the sacrifice of the perfect God, the Son of God, who came as man. So that's why he had said in Luke 11, 11, 13, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So there in that context, he's talking about the Heavenly Father and his gift, like specific, like the Holy Spirit. But even before the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the gift of God, the grace of God, which is the redemption of or through the Son of God, Yeshua, which will be made through his death. So when men came to arrest him and kill him, Yeshua did not perform any signs to release himself from the bondage or set himself free. Instead, he went willingly like a silent lamb. He went. They flogged him, they stripped him naked, they sped on him, they mocked him, and then they nailed him to that tree, and he hung there, and as he bled out for hours, he did not defend himself. Instead, in his last breath, to mark the end, the completion of his coming as man and saying, it has been done, he said, it is finished. This was the moment that he revealed the father's true love that sacrificed his only son. So in Matthew 27, 46, they heard uh, Yeshua crying out in his loud voice. I mean, what kind of loud voice could he have at that point? Crucifixion is complete dehydration, dying by bleeding out and total dehydration of everything and anything in that, you know, moisture in that body. No fluid left. But he cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So many people misunderstand that and, and, you know, heretics have taken that and saying, see, God abandoned him because Jesus failed. He failed at, uh, at doing God's work, which was to live on and not die like that. And he's complained to God. Why you abandoned me like this, Father? That's how they read it. But that's just because it has question mark does not mean that he's doubting or challenging God. Instead, it's the moment that the son is so moved by the father's love and saying, Father, you love the world this much. The world does not mean the things of the world or the evil in, uh, one in the world, rather the souls of men in the world. And he's saying, Father, you truly are love because 
You let your sinless son die like sin, letting me become sin and die so that your love may be known. Instead of these animal-like sinners, you let me die. You truly are love. There is no other love but the love of the Father. For you are love. Amen? Romans 5, 6 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. So for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is not just one of us who's better than us. He is entirely different from us. That's why we read those parts saying, he is God in the beginning. He was in the beginning who created the world with God. That he is the sinless, the righteous one who is the love of God. Who has finally come to express the perfect love of God to the point of laying down his life. So that the righteous will take place of the unrighteous. The gold will take the place of the bronze. Stone in place of iron. For worthless trash scum of the earth, the sinless, perfect God would die. The only way this could be done is the perfect love of the God, of the Father God, the greatest sacrifice He made. Hallelujah! And in that process, He judged the devil, the God of jealousy, the origin of sin. And as the righteous became an atoning sacrifice, 1 Corinthians 5 says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The Passover lamb that replaced every firstborn, human and animal, that is Yeshua, our Passover lamb. And he died to become an atoning sacrifice for the unrighteous humans. Not the flesh, but the souls. First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for our for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Hallelujah. Where it says God made him who knows no sin to become sin means that sin. He knows no sin. He cannot. It's not. You understand. He didn't. It's not because he said I have. I'm full of self control, so I'm going to look at a woman and say, "You are a tree." You're a piece of furniture, someone said. You're a piece of furniture. That's not how he did not sin. Because he is God, he cannot sin. Do you understand? He's above the definition of sin because he is God. He knows no sin. But that 100% God became 100% man with the function to suffer and be pained and be killed. And what killed his body, that is spirit, was the sin of the world being put onto his body. So at that moment, going back to the analogy of archery, God made Yeshua's body be the target of God's judgment for sin. That target was supposed to be me, you, all of us in Adam. And we cannot just blame that guy, Adam, and say, you, you are the one who sinned and you are the one who's going to go to hell. Why do I have to worry about that? It, just in case you were thinking that, God gave the law. So all men will be silenced. That all men will come under the law and be condemned as sinners. 
And on top of it, Yeshua said, not only did you do stuff with your hands, with your body to sin, to, to make you sinners, but you also sinned with your mind, with your heart, with your words. Even if nobody knew, you sinned. So we all deserve to go to hell. But Yeshua became that sin that God hates so much. So that his target, when the arrow is pulled and then shot, it will be hit on his body so his body becomes a bullseye of the judgment of the righteous God fulfilling his righteousness and that, that reveal the perfect love of God for all men who are now paid for. Hallelujah. That's why he's called the sacrifice, the Passover lamb for us. Only God could, only Christ could do that. And he died. But just as he said, the father raised him back to life. Yeshua resurrected. He was lifted up to heaven. He entered the kingdom. Again, described as the kingdom of God's beloved son. It is a place where there is only love. No hatred. No anger. No judgment. No condemnation. But there is only love. Do you want to go there? How many of you want to go there? Yes. Because it's a place where the love of God is where Yeshua rules as its king with love. With love. We want to go there. We want to go there. We want to live there forever, yes? However, as we began the sermon, there's condition. It's a place. Not for the haters. Not for the unforgiving, unloving. But it is only for those who accept the love of God are moved by the love of God and therefore resolve to live a life of sacrifice, revealing the love of God. So that's why the Holy Spirit was sent in his name to reveal to us that perfect love of God. That Yeshua, when he died, is not because he was a sinner deserving it, but he died as a ransom to take my place. How many of you truly believe that he took your place on the cross? Are you sure? Or you're just like, because it makes sense, I'll just say amen. This means like we are about like two-thirds way, and now we have a third land, and then we go to bagel. Da, da, da. I see a lot of faces like that. Certainly, we need to make logic, and then I try to do that because I'm a logical person too. It has to make sense. But love is not about making sense. Love is about being moved by it and therefore be changed. Feeling it and changing. The grace of God, yes, the love of God. Question is, do you know the love of God? The Holy Spirit came to those who have said yes, amen, and received the blood of Yeshua. Say amen if you receive the blood of Yeshua. That is the love of God, the love of Christ. Amen. And then what the Holy Spirit does is that 2 Corinthians 5.14, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. Compels. Suneko in Greek is to hold fast, to seize, to control. Now we tend to think control is bad, right? Being controlled is bad. But being controlled by Christ's love. It's not bad. It's how we ought to be. Be controlled by Christ's love. So for Christ's love compels us, meaning for Christ's love controls us because we are convinced that one die for all, therefore all die. This is why baptism was commanded. Baptism is to experience that when he died, I died with him. Amen? Not only by verbal confession, opening my heart, receiving, but I need to go in the water as he commanded in his name. By going in, I'm burying the old self, which had died when he died. All died with him, so there is no more penalty for sin. 
But we didn't, it, he didn't end there. But he was raised back to life to testify that he is the sinless God. That it was the love of God that brought him to the cross, took him to the cross, and made him become sin in my place, in your place. So that now we know that through him we can live. Through him we are made alive. Hallelujah. So the gospel is the good news. Not because believe Jesus and you'll be rich. Believe Jesus and all your broken relationship will be mended. You'll have a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or perfect family and blah, blah, blah. No. That's not what the gospel is. No matter what other people say, that's not what the gospel is. Just because it sounds good to the ears does not mean that it's gospel. There's so many false so-called gospels out there. The gospel, the good news is that Christ died for me. Can you say that? Again. Again? Are you saying, Christ died for me? <clears throat> died for me. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? For a long time ago, there used to be American Express commercial. It's like, do you know who I am? So who the heck are you? <laughs> who are you? Oh, yeah, I'm like this, this family. You know, I come from this royal family, noble family. Or like, do you know how much money I make? Do you know what kind of school I went to? Or do you know, like, uh, do you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, so all those things in the world by worldly standards put people into certain levels and, and categories to be treated a certain way. But let's go to God in the eyes of God. Who are you? What are you? What am I? What am I? I'm a wretch, undeserving sinner who, who the only thing that I deserve is the fire of hell because that is the consequence, the price of sin. Even after being born again and being a Christian for many, many years, the only thing I can say before the holy God and the righteous one is that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I think about my past and I think about all those moments and I think about now, I think about yesterday, I think about last night. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful, sinful man. I'm guilty. Because my sins are always before me, as David said. My sins are always before me. Because before the perfect, righteous, holy God, no man can dare to say I'm worthy. No man can say I deserve it. The only thing I can say is for an undeserving sinner like me, a pathetic loser like me, scum of all things, trash, Christ, who knows no sin, died for me. Is that good news for you? Is that life-changing good news for you? In the Old Testament, the animal died for the firstborn. Levites served for Israel. When we're not talking about an animal, we're not talking about human. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about God incarnate. He who knows no sin became sin for me in my place instead of me in as my substitute. He died. And he became what he hates the most, which is sin. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the king of kings, the ruler of all things. God himself died for me. On that cross. What kind of place is a cross? Cross is where the flesh dies. Cross is where pride dies. 
surprised us. Because those who were crucified were stripped naked. Not just to hang there for five minutes, but for hours and for some even days. So you have nothing. Cross crucifixion means like totally nothing. Like you, whatever ounce of pride or you had, whatever little ego sense you had, there's nothing. There's nothing left. No blood, no water, no breath, no pride. That's what the cross is. And that's where he died. That's how he died. He who knows no sin became sin to be pierced, to be crushed, to be punished, to be wounded, to be stripped naked, to be sped on, to be mocked at, and die. For whom? For whom? For whom? Say it confidently. Are you still not sure? For whom? Not like, oh, for all of us. Aren't we all guilty? You have no relationship with Yeshua then. Don't fight comfort in number. Hiding in the, with the number. Everyone else is guilty too. You might, you meet people like, oh, I meet people like that. You ask them, but everybody's guilty. Everybody's sinner. I'm not the only sinner. But ultimately, you have to make relationship with him. As, accept him as your redeemer and your savior. And that is by confessing, it's for me, my place, he died. So are you moved by his love? Are you moved by his love? If so, how should you live your life then? Thank you, Yeshua, you saved me, so I'm going to go on and live the rest of my life as every day, enjoy every, what is it, every day is Friday, yes, enjoy your life. No. Believer is he who believes that Christ died for him, no longer lives for him, self, but lives for him who dies for him, who died for him. So Titus 2, 11 to 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Self-controlled, upright, and godly life as a result. As a result. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So now I must live for Christ. The reason why I'm alive, I'm living, is not for myself, not even for my family. Some people say, why are you, I ask them, why are you so tired? How come you don't come? Oh, because I have to work and I have to support my family. Why don't you come to pray? I'm just so tired because I have to take care of my parents and they're sick, they're old and my children. Why aren't you coming to these meetings? Oh, because I have to do this and that. So by the worldly standards and, you know, maybe from the perspective of family and parent, they're a good child, good son, good daughter, good spouse or whatever. But that is not somebody who knows the redeeming love of Christ. The redeeming of love of Christ, the redeeming love of Christ that he has shown through the cross is to say, I die for you. And if you believe that, and now you have received Christ's redeeming love, that is the love of God, the perfect love of God. Now you understand you die with him who died for you. You die with him. Now you're alive, not to live for yourself or history or even your future dream or ambition. You are to live for him, for Christ. What does that mean? Are you mean like, you mean like for servants of Christ, servants of God, like pastors, because you have full time, that's your full time, but I got full time job. I understand you have full time job for your daily bread. You need to work that. But it's about 
how your thinking must change. Your, your priority has to change. Your value system has to change. The value system is that this life I live is not mine. Now I am given this time to live for him, doing his work, living for his glory. But how many people that you hear that once were addicts, now they're sober? By the grace of God, hallelujah. They were sinners and living sinful life and doing all these terrible things, but now they're clean, they're transformed, hallelujah. They were sick and they met Jesus, they were prayed for, and they're, they're free, set free, and they're healed, hallelujah. And what do they do now? Well, now that I'm healthy, I'm clean, sober, I live on my dream. Yeah, I got to go and take care of my family and I got to save up money for my children, my future. And maybe if I time allows, I will serve a little bit here or I'll do this and here and there. What's the difference? Such people do not know the love of God. Remember, the kingdom of his beloved son is only for those who know his redeeming love and make their own sacrifice to express that love. Now that I have received his love and know his love and been moved by love as a Christian, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians five fifteen, there, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them was raised again. These are words of Paul. Beautiful words and so moving. And he not only wrote them or said them, but he lived them. That's why he stands as like our hero, hero of faith. He lived those words. So as Christians, what does Christian mean? Christian means to belong to Christ who lives for Christ. So now I have received his love. Christ's redeeming love, I have to live for Christ. Are you living for Christ? Are you sure? Living for Christ, for those who were once in the past selfish, self-centered, self-interested, self-serving, must change to now think about others first so that means to give up comfort convenience easy way believe me this is hard for me as well this is so hard how can any of us here confidently say well I'm living a perfect self-sacrificing life because I hear people going oh I'm working so much I'm so tired you know what I'm tired of hearing that too when people say that it's like why why and then we need help as a church. You know, there's something that we need help with this. And then we need people to come and do this. And, oh, but they're, they're, they're so tired. Why? Because they're working like night shift and early morning. And they can't come. They can't do that. Oh, no. Right. Okay. Oh, they're already overworked. They're complaining. It's just like they're so tired because they're doing so much work for the church of Jesus that their life is miserable. Who are they doing for? Who are they doing for? Who are you doing for? Not for me. I don't get anything from your serving. I'm serving along with you. So for Christ, it is for Christ that I live. And the body of Christ is the church, isn't it? Isn't it? The church is the body of Christ. Say it with me. So I live for Christ. I live for the body of Christ. Problem? 
problem? I'm making sense. Logic. Hello. So for Christ, for the body of Christ. But the qualification or the starting point is that you know the love of God. That is the redeeming love of Christ. Without that, everything that you do, you're doing like some volunteers out there from charity organization. COJ or Church of Jesus or the body of Christ is not a charity organization. It's not. But sometimes I wonder, there are people, wow, they work very hard, but I think they consider COJ as like charity organization. They could actually be doing this for the Red Cross or save the children, save the whale, I don't know what, the other stuff out there. In the past, we were taught to live for our own dreams and our goals. The more support, more loving your family is, that was more of your focus. If you had the blessing of having such a supportive, loving family, that's what you're taught. Live for your dream. Make a goal and and go after that. Go after your dreams. Press on to achieve that goal. And family supporting with love and money. And such person, they only care about their goal. Their dream. It's about themselves. So maybe unintended, unintended, unintendedly or unintentionally, this child grows up to be very self-centered, selfish. All I care is for about my dream, my ambition. So even after meeting Jesus, and they say they met Jesus, they know the grace of God that has been that they've been redeemed of their many sins and by his grace been forgiven of their many, many sins and then understanding that the sinless God became sin for them and died in their place instead of them. They say they amen, amen, amen but after becoming sober and healed and life is all good now they're like, okay, well I gotta go and make some more money and uh, you know, take care of my family. I don't have time for church. I need to minimize my time for Christ. They have to step back and ask, Does that person really know Christ's redeeming love? How can I be making sacrifice, self-sacrifice, self-sacrificing love, making sacrifice for others, for the Lord, number one, for his body, for others. This is a normal Christian. This is a normal Christian. So looking at my own nature that's lazy and that is selfish, that is greedy, how is this possible? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, as Paul said, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit who reminds us, who compels us by Christ's love that we can do it. Hallelujah! It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live our lives as Christ's ambassadors. Ambassador is somebody who represents, represents the country, the nation, the government they've been sent by. As Paul wrote, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the message of the gospel that we bring to the world. As ambassadors, we go out to the world, even if it's your school or workplace or same family at the end of the service, and we say benediction to prayer, bless you all. It's not like, phew, I'm done. So I won't get hit by a car. I won't get fired. I won't get sick. Now I can go and live my life. Starting Sunday night all the way to next Sunday morning. That's not somebody who knows the redeeming love of Christ. 
Instead, at the end of the service, I'm being sent out like a soldier is being deployed to combat, to, to battlefield, as ambassadors were working, walking out with pride and dignity and strength and love to preach the love of Christ, the love of God, the redeeming love of Christ. Amen. So wherever Christ wants me to go, I go. Whatever Christ wants me to say, I say. Whatever Christ wants me to do, I do. So throwing away my calculation. Some people are very quick with calculation. Very quick. Very smart. Very useful in life. But not always useful in spiritual life. It's not always about the bottom line. Cutting the corners and getting there as quick as possible and doing it the least as possible. <laughs> at work, maybe they can get away at work, but not Christ's work. Putting effort to practice Christ's life is to make a sacrifice. Because love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. Like a parent loves his or her child, especially from mom. Mamas carry their babies in their body for all those months. It doesn't end there. But as soon as the baby's born, it's a lot of work from that being born until the baby's weaned or then potty train and starts walk and, and then all the way through and throughout. The child is their concern because they're their love and therefore they make sacrifice and they don't complain about that. That's the love of a parent. Love of a mom. How can I, even though I might not be a mom, because of Christ's redeeming love for me, be sacrificial? How can I be sacrificial? Not like, you guys go ahead and do that. Yeah, you do that, you do that. I'm going to go and take a nap. This is not somebody who's sacrificing, right? What kind of sacrifice are you making for Christ? And that for Christ is not an abstract thing. For Christ is for the body of Christ here on earth. And it is through the church we are reminded of what we are supposed to be doing for Christ. We're making it tangible for people to partake in that sacrificial life. That sacrificial love. So when people tell me, it's like, it's a little too much, I don't want to do it anymore. It's not like, fine, don't do it. Sometimes I feel like, don't do it. I have my own ego, don't do it. Nobody's going to beg for you to do anything. I know this, this is like me behind the scene. I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. But then I think about their soul. And that's why I cry. Lord, forgive them. Lord, they do not know what they do. Forgive them for they do not know what they say. Sacrifice, self-sacrifice is to give up one's own interest, one's own wish. It's to give up one's own time, one's own money. It's to give up one's own comfort, one's own possessions, one's own pride, one's own righteousness. How many of us can say, yep, I'm doing that every day? How can we carry this out? As we mourn and weep every single day, as we try to pray, following our habit and routine, we beat our chest. Why am I so full of myself? Full of myself. I want this. I need that. I need to have this. I need to see this. I need to eat this. I need to touch that. I need to be there. I need, I need me, 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 me. Why is it not you, Yeshua, 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 Yeshua? 
and your church and your souls. Your cause, your kingdom, your glory. I need to eliminate myself by ambition. Ambition. What more do you want? And some people say, well, does that mean the Christians are all losers? Well, whatever you call it. Meaning Jesus means dying to self. Because he died for me. Because he died for me. Man, COJ takes away your time, takes away your money, and takes away your dreams. It's not COJ. That's what the gospel says. That's what the gospel says. So you could say, Lord, Lord, but I still want this. Lord, Lord, but I want to be number one. Lord, Lord, but I want promotion. Lord, Lord, I want success, career, business. I want this, I want this, I want that. That is not someone who believes that Christ died for them. Has your ambition died as a result of Christ dying with you, for you? That's the question. Where is my devotion? Where is my dedication? For a while in Korea, I heard that culturally Korean workers did not want to find jobs that are referred to as 3D, the letter D, A, B, C, D. The work that is dangerous, dirty, was the other D, difficult. So they're avoiding 3D, difficult, dirty, dangerous. I don't want that kind of job. In the church, for Christ, for the body of Christ, that should be my job. That I volunteer for. Only three people are nodding. Everyone's like, mm, no thanks, no 3D. <laughs> do you understand? The work that no one wants to do, I should be volunteering and say, I'll do it. I'll sacrifice myself, if that's counted as sacrifice, even. So, sacrificing myself, you can say that with your list, but what does it mean? That's the question you should be asking. Thank you, Yeshua, that you died for me. Thank you, thank you. Now I'm going to live for myself. Now I'm going to live for my, uh, my ambition. Now I'm going to live for my family, my future. No, no, no. While I'm alive, I live for him. I live for Christ who died for me. Amen? The world will call you selfish, yeah. They will say, are you so selfish? That's because they know not what they say. Even, even, even though I'm spending time at church instead of with my families. Oh, today's someone's birthday. Today's someone's this. And they say, why are you going to church again? Why can't you stay home with me? And blah, blah. But you say, I need to go to church and I need to worship. If God sees that as sacrifice that you're making this day, he will take care of your family. More importantly, remember their soul. Amen? The love of God makes the impossible possible. There had been missionaries being sent abroad and going to places that are dangerous, difficult, and dirty. There were people who died along the way, who died upon arrival, died after arriving from diseases. But knowing all of that, people have been going as missionaries, being sent as missionaries, and still are going that way. And you ask them, why? They say, unless I go, they will never know the love of Christ. Unless I go and make this sacrifice, they will never know the sacrifice of Christ. So it's with that heart that we are sent off, sent out to the world to preach the good news to one more soul. Open my mouth and then share the love of Christ, Christ redeeming love. 
And then while I'm living in the church, I am serving him. I am sacrificing myself and sacrificing for others around me. In the past, I didn't care for other people. Other people's problems, not my problem. It's your problem. Why do I need to care about that? But now, all the souls within the church are my problem. I was crying this morning. It's like, why is their lack of faith my problem? People saying this and this and that because they don't have faith and complain. I'm like, why is that my problem? It's burdening me. But that is how I have to live. Compelled by Christ's love. Because he died for me. It's my honor that I can serve him and show his love through this. Let us pray and put every effort to make his love be known so in that day all of us can enter the kingdom of his beloved love son. Amen? Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Who could ever die for someone like me? Can you actually say those words in your heart? Do you really agree with that? Who could ever die for animal like me? Dirty, 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 filthy, worldly, animal-like, lazy, rebellious, unloving, unfaithful, cold-hearted, Selfish, selfish, selfish. But he did die for me. He died for me. What kind of love is this? I am so moved by your love, Father. There is no one like you. No love like yours. Let me be 